Hey, hey, Boss Street Ballers. Patty Dominguez here with Tim Wabeck and another episode of He Said, She Said, where we share our perspectives on a topic of interest for our Boss Free Ballers. Today, we're going to be talking about failures, how to fail forward, understanding what failure is all about, and then hearing different stories of very famous people that you've heard and their failures, hopefully to inspire you to take action and make sure to fail forward. If you like the show or have solid feedback for us, either way, head over to Twitter at Boss Society. Let us know what you think. We welcome all feedback. And then, of course, if you haven't already done so, visit us over on Facebook at the Boss Free Society Dojo, a community of like-minded people who are making things happen in a big way to live a boss-free lifestyle. See you over there. Have a great one. Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? Have you ever worked for a boss hole? We know how you feel, and we want to help. Welcome to the Boss Free Society Podcast, your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts, Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez. Couch not included. Patty back in the studio doing another He Said, She Said. Uh, and today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to talk about failures. Oh, the great topic of failures. <laughs> failures. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? I mean, so many of us fear failure when in actuality, failure is really the secret sauce to success. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some famous failures, and then we're going to talk about some of our own failures. Um, what, what's kind of cool is you've you probably, there's probably people out there that have seen this. They've It's like a it's not a meme, but it's an, it's a graphic image and it talks about, uh, success and like the line to success. And it's, the line is going back and forth and down. And finally you reach success after all these different detours. When most people think it's just this, this like stairs when obviously that's not the case. It's not that clean. Yeah. It's a, it's a convoluted mess of, of spinning out of control and then catching yourself and be like, oh, okay, I'm over on this. No, I'm on this path again. So that definitely, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned through this whole process is failure is feedback. And it's just a matter of looking at it in a specific way that'll change everything on how you see failure. Yeah, and I think it was Tom Watson of IBM said, if you want to be a success, double your rate of failure. That, that's, that, I mean, I think that really says it all, right? Is is double your rate of failure. So I'm going to, I came across uh, a graphic that had some famous failures and I thought, well, you know what, why don't we share some of these famous failures with our boss free ballers? Now, again, you guys know all these people and you've probably know all their stories, but with the way we're going to, we're going to kind of give a little bit of our uh, take on it. But also I think, I think Tony Robbins said it where it's like, you know, repetition is the mother of skill. So he, just because you know these people and know of their story, hearing it again is going to embed that in your in your brain just that much more. Uh, so the first person that we're going to talk about is Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein was, was able to speak until he was almost four years old. And here's something that his, his teachers said he would never amount to much. So how, how's that for a label? How's that for someone that really went against 
what people were saying about him and being able to when when anyone thinks of who the smartest person in the world is or was, Albert Einstein is one of the first people that anyone ever ever says. But yet a teacher had said you'd never amount to much. Yeah, no, that's so brilliant. What would have happened if he would have listened to that, internalized that as some kind of a story and let that be the guiding principles for how he moved, uh, how he moved about? He wouldn't have been as exceptional as he was. And that's just a perfect example of he didn't care what those quote unquote failures were, because at the end of the day, what that teacher uh, deemed as a quote unquote failure, he probably didn't pay it any mind or decided not to to pay it any mind and to let that be a limiting belief for him. Right. And I think that's really what we're, we're saying here is don't let limiting beliefs, other people's limiting beliefs of you stop you from doing what you want to do. Uh, the next one, and I know I'm pretty sure everyone knows who this is, Michael Jordan. Uh, after he was cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room and he cried. Now, I think I, I've, I've uh, known about Michael Jordan my whole life, uh, or at least my adult life. I was a big fan of his. Uh, he started his career when I was just a, a wee, a wee young lad in my in like eight or nine, ten, something like that when he started his career. So I've, I've followed him very closely. And one of the things that most people don't know about that, so Mike, when Michael Jordan was cut from his basketball team, that was the varsity team. He was a sophomore when he got cut from the varsity team. He still played in junior varsity. So here's someone, he had, he had those high expectations of himself, and he kind of almost manufactured this, uh, this story of you know, being cut and using it as fuel to prove everyone wrong. And the funny thing, I forgot the guy's name, but the funny thing is, on this, I heard this story, a really cool story about Jordan, that when the, the last guy who made the team, his name was like Leroy Williams or something. I don't know what his name was. but So whenever he would check into a hotel, he would always use that guy's name. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so just another little fun fact for you, for you Jordan fans out there. Uh, our next one, this obviously everyone knows who this is, Walt Disney. But did you know that he was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas? I can't. I mean, that one blew me away, probably after seeing the ones that we're going to talk about today, just because of who he became. And I've never read a biography of his, but I think this would be a really interesting story to read is that in spite of that, I mean, think about lacking imagination, where I always think about Walt Disney as being kind of the powerhouse of imagination. I mean, if you ever have been to Walt Disney World, you yes. know. I mean, that is that's a city unto itself. I mean, it's just it's un- and it's all started with a mouse, <laughs> with a mouse, a cartoon, right. Right. and it's turned into one of the most iconic destinations for family vacations. Absolutely. So that just talks about the power of his belief that of what he wanted to create, what he wanted, what he wanted to manifest. I mean, I've heard a story of a friend of Walt Disney's and I, you're going to kill me. I don't know who it is, but we'll post in the show notes. If I remember, um, Walt had approached him and said, Hey, look, I want to take you to this field. I want to show you my vision for what I want to put together. This is a really big business opportunity. Took his friend there and, you know, Walt was, specifying his vision, really putting into context what it is he wanted to create. And his friend thought he was nuts. He's like, no, nah, man, that de- I- I'm not seeing it. I'm not getting it. Right. And he declined the business deal. And look what would have happened. It was um, a swampland in Florida, right? Yeah, it, was, it, it, was the, it was Walt Disney World. Exactly. And it was his, <clears throat> and so the friend says it was his greatest failure <laughs> is not getting in on that deal. 
Another quick one. It was, I think it was his brother, Roy, when uh, Epcot Center was one of Walt's last real creations, but he didn't live long enough to see it. And one of the, one of the newspaper, newspaper reporters at the opening of Epcot, like was with Roy and he's like, you know, it's, it's real shame. It's real shame that Walt isn't here to see it today. And Roy looked at him and goes, no, you got it wrong. He saw it. That's why you're seeing it right now. I love that. I got chills. I got goosebumps. I got chills. I got chills. So that's just an awesome, awesome uh, little story there. Uh, Our next person that we're going to uh, talk about is Steve Jobs. And at 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started. Is there any more to say about that? Just what a kick in the pants. Yeah, right. (laughs) To be unceremoniously removed and look at what happened in that period when he was gone. And then the great visionary of Steve Jobs is who he was. And arguably, maybe he wasn't the most popular CEO because of his style, his business style. But personality, yeah, his personality. But you can't deny the impact that his imagination had. And in spite of that huge failure, because you could say, wow, that was humiliating. Not only was that a failure, but that's humiliating, a huge blow to the ego. Um, And he came back and completely turned Apple around into the big powerhouse that it is today. And actually, the the movie, now I don't know, obviously, all the, the. the the truths behind everything, but the movie jobs that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Ashton Kutcher played, I really enjoyed that movie and, and it seemed to, to follow. I think it was a pretty, pretty accurate film. I don't know. There's probably, you know, there was some Hollywoodized aspects to it, but for the most part, I mean, they definitely covered that, um, that story and that storyline. And it is, it, it's an interesting way to, to, to look at it. Here you are the, the founder and the starter of the company and you get, booted uh but yet you come back and it rises like a phoenix right patty (laughs) that's awesome i definitely want to read the the book that was done on steve jobs life um i don't know the name of that either we'll post it in the show notes but that'll be one of the reads that is added to my book list because i've heard really really good things about his uh his steve jobs biography i think it's called Uh, jobs even i think it is called jobs i Isaacson, I want to say. I don't know the, yeah, guy, the author's first name, but I think Isaacson was part of it. But yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes and, and uh, have a take a look at that. Um, next, our fifth out of six. This is so we're almost done. Fifth is Oprah Winfrey. Uh, did you know that Oprah was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television? Dun, dun, dun. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a billionaire now, and she's one of the most recognizable women on the face of the earth. Yeah, and and on that one, I would say it's because she broke the mold. Meaning, there was such a a profile for the anchor woman at that time in the eighties of what was acceptable or right. what would get the highest ratings or that perceived quotient of popularity. So there's different metrics in TV of what's going to work and what isn't. And so it turns out that she probably didn't get the highest ratings or whatever, but in spite of that, she forged ahead because it was her biggest vision and dream to create what she did. And she didn't let that stop her. And she could have easily said, no way I'm, I'm not the right fit. I'm not the right color. I'm not the right ethnic background. I don't have the right look. And instead, literally, she forged her own trail, which I think is really amazing. And I mean, everyone knows who Oprah is. Yeah, right, it's, so. you, you, said it, you said it better than I could, Patty. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Had a moment of inspiration. That was beautiful. Beautiful party. Uh, so our, uh, our last one is the Beatles. Uh, they were rejected by 
Doka Recording Studios, and they said, we don't like their sound. They have no future in show business. Do you know what's so funny about that is that this, the the recording studio, Deca, like who, we, who is it? Is it Deca or Doka? I don't I think know. It's Deca. Even, is it Deca? It, yeah, oh, I sorry. think so. I, I, I butchered that. No, that's okay. <laughs> but the reality is, who even knows who Deca Recording Studios is? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in England people know of them, but yeah. obviously for the pond over here they don't. But I have heard of the Beatles. I guess a couple, a couple, two, three of them maybe. Maybe yeah. even, maybe even four. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give them a shout out because I love their story that was included in Outliers in Malcolm Gladwell's book. And I know that book, in terms of the theory, has been debunked by other scientists, behavioral scientists, saying that it takes more than ten thousand hours to create that expert level, but the story that was included in Outliers was about the Beatles and the fact that they worked in a lot of really gaudy, gross underground bars for super long sets, eight or nine hour sets. They paid their dues and and really honed their skill and the synchronicity in which they performed so much so that when they came over, it wasn't really the British invasion that they came out of nowhere, is that they had put in a ton of practice in the process. So what would have happened if they would have taken that feedback from this recording studio and never put and never created what they were able to do. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, that, that says it all too. Again, you said that perfectly. Um, so now what I thought would be interesting is if, if each of us kind of shared one of our failures, one of our in, famous failures to us in our trajectory to where we are today. And I'll, I can start with, uh, I, this was a big failure for me. Uh, so I'll kind of set the scene for those of you that don't know, back in um, April of 2005, I had this crazy idea that I would run from Orlando, Florida to Chicago to raise awareness for cerebral palsy, to raise awareness for how my buddy Mike lives, and uh, to show people it was possible because I wasn't a runner before I chose to do that. So long story short, I had a lot of on my plate on April 1st saying because I was going to start the run on August 1st. So in July, I had my very first fundraiser, and I had to put everything in place in May. And I rented out uh, – it was called the North Beach Club in Chicago. It was right – I guess it wasn't River North area, but it was uh, – I can't remember the street. It was called the North North Beach Club. And this was just this huge, huge venue. It had basketball basketball courts. It had volleyball courts. It had bowling alley. And then so I basically rented out the whole bar. And the problem was in order to rent out the whole bar, you had to guarantee them that 300 people would be in attendance. Otherwise, they couldn't give you the whole bar. Here it was. I was. It was May, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna be able to get 300 people there, no problem. So here I am. You know, I, and I was focusing on training and getting my body to to be able to run 1,200 miles. So I was training and running, and I wasn't really focused on all the ancillary things like promoting this event. So I did what I could to promote it, and just to kind of give you a little hint, in July in Chicago, it's a hard. It's hard to promote an event in the summer for for Chicago because everyone we're, we're have cabin fever because of the winter has been uh, so long and so everyone's kind of scattered in the win- in the summer because you know there's people go up to Wisconsin they go to Michigan they go to Indiana they go to the lake I mean there's so many different things to do just in the Chicago alone so it's really hard to get a lot of people to one event. So here I was guaranteeing 300 people to come to this fundraiser. Only a hundred people came. 
So that means that I paid for 200 people that didn't show. Uh, so, in- <laughs> so instead of having a fundraiser, I, I always tell people it was a fun razor, but it was really a fund loser. <laughs> so I lost all this money. So and, and the thing was, I'm like, all right, well, my whole point of doing this was to raise money so I could afford um, an RV to go with me on this run. So it, it turned out that I had to adjust my sales and I wasn't able to get the RV because of this uh, fund loser. <laughs> but I was able to improvise, adapt, and overcome and, and, and change change the course a little bit. But that was something that has stuck with me. And now I do a lot of events uh, every year, whether it be with our foundation, the Keep On Keeping On Foundation, or with Handicap This and what have you. So I do a lot of events and we I have not once made that same mistake again where I guarantee 200 people or 300 people when, you know, it's doesn't look like that's going to be the case. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. And that is one that speaking of the steel boot toe kick to oh, the crotch. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one was uh, it left a mark. Yeah, that, that, that one definitely left a mark. <laughs> it's okay. I'm laughing because I get like I get the visual. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The big visual. Okay, so for me, basically, something similar, but not as costly, probably, <laughs> as what you went through. Um, in a business idea that I had, I'd put together this idea that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do these trainings where I'm going to charge people for an hour and a half presentation where I'm training them to do a specific thing in social media, put together a meetup group. I had my landing pages done, I uh, had marketed as much as I thought that I could. And that was also over the summer. Interestingly enough, it sounds like summer may not be the right time to do any of this stuff (laughs) because I tried on four different occasions. I think for all four sessions that I had invested my time, my effort of going to the venue, securing the venue, putting down money as a deposit for the menu because I thought, oh, I'm going to get that money back with the people that enroll. Um, I did the I did the event four different times, and I think collectively I might have gotten maybe three people total. Oh. So it was not a good situation. I thought, okay, the first one didn't bring in anybody, so it's just giving me feedback that maybe I have to tweak my marketing approach a little bit. The second time around, no shows. The third time around, one person. The second or the fourth time, it was two people. I thought I gave it enough of an effort to recognize that that particular idea wasn't going to work. Um, and I also wasn't that passionate about about saying, yes, it has to work no matter what, me continuing to forge ahead. I lost money on the deal. Um, yeah, it, it, it bruises the ego a little bit because I'm like, why is this happening to me? But the reality is, is that that wasn't the right approach for what I wanted to do. So instead of doing that, I did some other some other outreach methods that did work. So my point in saying that is I could have easily seen as a failure, packed my stuff away and saying, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm out. I'm out. Tapped out. <laughs> I'm not going to do this business anymore. But um, And I can tell you so many different examples of different business venture ideas that I've had where those types of failures where I have lost substantial money, um, but just the limiting the beliefs that I've had to overcome because of those things and not let it cloud your thinking for future deals. Because Tim, for example, you had another event that was earlier this year in January, wasn't it? At the Skokie Convention Center or something? We had that, November, we were in November. Skokie, and then January, we're at Stage 773 in the city. Yeah, know. 
but it but what would have happened if you would have said, "Oh, I can't do these types of events anymore in public venues. It's too big of a risk." Right. Yeah. The, the, that's the whole thing is you know, you learn from your mistakes and you learn how to forge ahead, like you said. And you sometimes you have to work that much harder so that you don't have the same results. You really gotta push and push and push. Right. And the greatest roller coaster ride ever continues. The analogy. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening to another He Said, She Said episode all about failures. Yes. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Boss Society. And also, if you haven't had the opportunity to hit the subscribe button, make sure to do that because that is what makes you a boss free baller. We'll see you over there on social media. Let us know what you think. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Boss Free Society podcast. If you want more, connect with us on Facebook at Boss Free Society fan page, Twitter at Boss Free Society, or join our group of other boss free minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook.